Hi, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Hit Streak. Check it out. I got to give a big shout out to my show sponsor, my friends over at AVLX. I also have to give a big shout out to Charles Henry and Ace Young, the amazing performers and producers of the music behind the show, as well as the amazing people that make up the Hit Lab creative team who are the producers of the show. Folks, I have a favor to ask. If you like what you hear, and I know you do, click that subscribe button to make sure you get alerted when new episodes are dropped. Thanks for tuning in. The real success stories told by the people who live them. We're going to have some guests on this show that everybody knows, and we're going to have guests on this show that nobody knows yet. One by one, Nick Heider is adding hits to the hit streak. Blessings, folks. Welcome back to another episode of The Hit Streak. I'm your man, Nick Heider, and uh, today I've got a real treat in the, in the studio with me today. In the Hit Lab, um, I have a living legend. I have um, a very successful athlete, a very successful businessman, um, a pioneer. As a matter of fact, if you've been to the University of Tennessee's uh, Neyland Stadium at Gate 21, you might have taken a picture with his statue. In the building today, I've got none other than Mr. Lester McLean in the house. Thank you so much for being here today, Lester. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. Well, man, we got a lot to get into today, don't we? Well, we'll just see how it works out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ain't that life, That's though? Life. Yes, That's right. So... Um, Lester, we have, um, so you played locally, um, went to high school at Antioch High School where you graduated, where you played football, Mm -hmm. where you went on to be the first, the very first African-American football player at the University of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So um, I know you probably get a lot of questions about that, and that's probably a hot topic that a lot of people want to hear about, and I'm I'm sure that they could probably, uh, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, but they could probably hear all about that if they just YouTubed your, or looked up anywhere on the internet to find all kinds of cool stuff about that, right? Um, that was a very, that was a small window of your life versus maybe the last 40 years or so, right, when you've been out there killing it in the business world as a businessman. Well, that was, it's, it was a lot different then, yes. Yes, sir. So, um, well, first of all, um, my dad, who was just in here, he came in to say hello. You guys were high school teammates. Right. And I, t- I mentioned before when uh, we were talking out front that um, growing up in my house, um, you know, I-, I tell my son about some of my teammates that I had, great people that were in my life at different stages. I share those with my kids mm-hmm. and-, and wife alike. And your name was brought up in our house all the time. For my whole life, it was brought up all the wow. time mm-hmm. for the impact that you made um, on my on my daddy. And um, so he mentioned a minute ago that you were when you showed up, just based off the way you dressed, they knew you were somebody. How did you dress in high school? Well, at Antioch, I always wore kind of a sport coat and tie, mm-hmm. and um, I think um, I was known for the tenant glasses not that i you know not it was shade they were not shades they were a light tint okay and so that was a little bit different um i think no one at school wore tinted glasses and sport coats there you go <laughs> well so most high school kids don't do what everybody else isn't doing they do what everybody else is doing whether it's right. good or bad mm-hmm. so what i mean seriously you're you're a teenager at this point 
like what made you like it it takes a certain mindset uh, a certain uh, frame of mind to be different mm-hmm. what was it like what was it can, do you know what made really was the appeal to that for, to you back then like what made you want to do that interesting um my brother that's next to me mm-hmm. he's like when i said next to me he's uh smith is probably 13 years older and he had attended Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. He's the first one in the family to ever go to college, as far as I know. And anyway, Smitty talked about um, so many of the students back then that uh, dressed up to come to school because um, they were going to school to be professionals yes, of some kind. Um, it's interesting that that was an agricultural school mm-hmm. for the most part, but the uh, the dress-up was part of um, the education and the professionalism that you were showing on your way. Ooh. And um, I always wanted to do that. Mm. Had another brother, the oldest brother, next to the oldest brother, uh, worked in Huntsville, Alabama. He had a construction company. They laid brick, built a lot of, bricked a lot of houses down there. And um, so I had a chance to, I would always go work with them in summer or anytime we were not in school, I would go work. So all the money I would make, I'd save money and and be able to buy my own clothes and buy my own everything because my parents didn't have, you know, didn't have a lot of money to do anything with. And so if you wanted certain things, you had to uh, go out and do that hustle thing of, mm. of, of saving your money and and. Uh, so I started buying those kinds of things and getting ready for school. Um, and, and I didn't, I think I wore more sport coats at Antioch than I did any other time. I did, by that time I had that kind of water road. It didn't exist before. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's the first crack of the bat right there. We added a hit to the hit streak talking about how um, you, you had mentioned that um, you were getting ready to learn. You were getting in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. The reason you went to school wasn't because somebody told you you had to. You went there to get something out of it. Right. Right? You went there to accomplish something out of it. Mm-hmm. And you took pride in uh, in your uniform, mm-hmm. right, to, uh, mm-hmm. to be able to do that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel the same way. Um, people ask me all the time, um, like every single thing that I wear, everything about me um, when I'm getting dressed has a purpose, whether it be to stand out or it does something for me that, to get me in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm to go out and accomplish what in the heck it is I got to accomplish that day. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, well, um, <clears throat> Dad talked about that a lot, how I've heard that Lester wore a suit and tie to high school, and you were the only one um, that did that. Is that true, too, that nobody else really did that? I don't I don't recall anyone other than teachers, maybe. <laughs> there you go. Did you get mistaken for a teacher a lot? <laughs> no, no, I didn't get mistaken for the teacher. No, no, not that. Um, but we did have it really uh, some cool teachers that was um, oh my god I just lost his name had his had his name I'm not going to even try to do that one but we had a young teacher that had gone to Belmont mm-hmm. Steve Hewlett okay are you from do you know that name? I've heard the name Steve had run for public office at one time that's it, was, it. yeah and uh, he was our speech teacher okay and one of my Number one things I wanted to do when I went to Antioch was to take a speech class, and that's where I met him. Okay. What's so crazy is that I wanted to take a speech class. I'm a natural stutterer, a serious really stutterer. Okay. And was determined to take the speech class mm-hmm. 
because I felt like I was going to have to speak for the rest of my life to different things because I was going to be successful. Mm. There's another one. You know what I mean? So um, that cord might drive you crazy. You can just throw it over your shoulder if you need to. You ain't going to hurt nothing. Um, Well, man, that's – so that's the first person that I've ever heard say I was – I was looking forward to speech class. You know what I mean? But you knew what you were there to get out. I, w- I took speech class too. Didn't get anything out of it. You can probably tell by listening to me speak today. <laughs> um, I went because somebody told me I had to. Okay. Not because of what I could get out of it. That was the old the old me um, but the, that didn't know what I understand now, right? Mm-hmm. So, And we're always telling um, – I'm telling my children about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, man, if you're – there's an opportunity to get, get something out of what you're doing – but it's up to you that, to get it. Right. You got to get it. So um, <clears throat> at Antioch, you guys, another, another couple names that, um, that I heard were you guys, uh, you guys football coaches that you had at Antioch back then. Mm-hmm. Coach Hayes. Yep, Coach Hayes. Coach Dunn was another name Coach I heard a lot Dunn. about. Right. Um, you mentioned before off camera that those guys were, um, were studs. <laughs> yep. Um, what was, so what was some of the stuff that um, – my dad talks about those guys and a lot of the life lessons that he was able to get from them as he looked at them as mentors, mm-hmm. not just coaches, but as mentors. Um, what were some of the way that uh, those guys impacted you? Well, you know, I thought it was significant that I came to Antioch. Now, every, I'm a senior. Mm-hmm. Everyone has been there for their time period. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, well, in Middle Tennessee, you didn't have spring practice, but you did have kids that were on your team that you watched mature and had places for them and saw your future, which you would have the following year. Right. Then they have a stranger to walk in onto to the football field thinking that they should play somewhere yeah. on the team and not mm. familiar with anything at all that's going on. And to think that um, you would have success in that under those circumstances wow. was well. This is what I thought about it when I looked back on it. I think you know to think that I was going to have success and walking in that situation is pretty difficult because you're not familiar with anything. I had no idea what kind of offense they ran or defense. It, you know, I don't. I guess it did matter to me. I just wanted to play. Yeah. And um, but at the same time, the guys. Pretty soon, you know, they adjusted to me and took me in as a, as a member of the team. Um, and I was, you know, uh, Bruce Culberson. Did you ever Did you ever know Bruce Culberson? I, d- I didn't know him. He didn't. It's, um, the guys I know the most are the ones that still go have lunch on Fridays. Okay. They get together and do that still. Um, but I've heard the name, of course. Um, right. But I don't know if I ever met him. Right. Bruce was an underclassman. When I said underclass. He was not a senior. And... Um, Bruce was a very talented young man, but had a lot of speed, a lot of things. And I remember him being around during those early days when uh, Mr. Garrett, uh, Dr. Garrett, w- was running us, yeah, uh, getting us ready for, for practice sessions. And you noticed that Bruce was the guy that was always in front, uh, close to the front. Mm-hmm. So he he was there, and he was one that you you know that you ran. You ran full speed every time, and you knew he was going to run full speed every time. Yep. 
And then he had his little brother that was there on the sideline watching everything. I used to make his little brother throw me the ball on the sideline while the coaches were talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just to make sure I got my hands straightened out and I could catch catch the ball well. Because I didn't, I didn't practice playing football. Right. I didn't catch the ball with anybody. I just knew that I could catch the ball if I got to play regularly. Wow. And just, uh, so the kid used to throw the ball to me. So I did attend, this is, I hate to say this, I hate, I did attend Bruce's funeral mm -hmm. and saw the little brother. He's a grown man at this time. And, um, and I told him, thank you for all the balls he threw to me. Because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he made a difference in my life just uh, doing That's those awesome. little things. Yes. That's awesome. So, um, after Antioch, you were recruited to play um, football at the University of Tennessee, right. the Big Orange, mm -hmm. right? And um, in, in Nashville, that's that, that's we have Vanderbilt here, but like there's a whole lot of people that wear that bleed that orange here. Um, you know what I mean? So right. it's a it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal to be able to play at the University of Tennessee. So um, you go there, and um, do you? So this is a this is a question that I was really excited to ask you. So um, are you known more for the culture impact that you made or the sports or the impact you made on the program? And, and I, I was, that's a dumb question. Most people oh. are like, well, that's a dumb question. Like, of course, you made the culture thing. But like, you were a great player, mm -hmm. right? So do you feel it, like, is it overshadowed your playing career at all, do you think? Mm, no. Um, older I get, rather than getting better, I realize – Every year, the kids get better. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you realize just how great they are. Yes. And so, you know, I keep that part in perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, I also realized that, you know, I was, wasn't was the greatest player in the world. Um, my going to Tennessee had a lot to do with Bill Garrett promoting me mm -hmm. and Tennessee needing a roommate for Albert Davis. Okay. And so who was out Al, who was Albert Davis? Albert Davis was probably the greatest football player we had out in the state of Tennessee at that time. He was to Tennessee football what Herschel Walker was to Georgia wow. football. Okay. He was a stud. Okay. Running back. And um Tennessee was highly recruiting him and he he's from Alcor, you know, and Alcor has always had Powerful football, Alcoa, Maryville, that little mm -hmm. that spot is full of the football hub. And he was just a stud that Tennessee was going to sign. But um, to do so, um, at that time when you were signing, um, the newness, it's a new world where you're going to sign a black player. Right. Um, you needed to give him a roommate. Okay. Okay. That was Makes sense. Yeah. Makes really, sense. It makes sense, but then it really doesn't. Sure. But, you know, but it, sure. did, it did. So it needed, needed a roommate. And well, to be to be alone, I couldn't yeah. imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like to be alone in a situation like that when not not everybody's going to treat you like they should. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's part of the experience. And yep. part of the change that goes with the change. Yes, sir. But, uh, but I got recruited mainly because of Albert. Okay. Uh, when they got everyone that they thought was going to come to be Albert's roommate, didn't come. And by the time we got to where well, the spring game, uh, beginning of May, uh, I got a great call from Bill Garrett telling me that uh, 
you know, you need to go to the spring game and you're being invited for Tennessee to the spring game. Wow. And that um, he said, we're going to pull this off, Lester. We're going to pull this mm -hmm. off. And I thought, well, how wonderful. So I got a chance to meet Albert Davis and went to the spring game and, and signed the following week wow. to go to Tennessee. And whatever, for whatever reason, about 30 days later, um, whatever, whatever it was that all was involved, Albert did not come. Okay. He had signed first, and yep. I signed because, yep. you know, oh, I, I got the opportunity to sign because Albert had. Sure. Then Albert decided he wasn't coming after okay. he had signed his scholarship. He had 40 scholarships at that time. Good Lord. And Albert signed the 39th one, and I signed the 40th one, but he never came. So we had the, uh, you had that experience of, well, what's it like? Mm. Well, you only have one. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So that was, uh, so so that was where the where the experience of it all began, yeah. and I think it was healthy for everyone. Sure, that experience was. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, I get a lot of great feedback from folks that that uh, that tune in, mm -hmm. and um, I love the. When people let me know, hey man, you know you did great with this. Um, man, I wish you had, we had heard a little bit more from that person on this. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's gonna say when you get a guy like um, Lester, and I, we could have spent the whole the whole time talking about your experience um, and and all that that's going on in the culture and everything. But like you know, one of the things that we focus on on this show is um, it's it's a lot geared at. Um, young business owners, entrepreneurs, um, and stuff like that. So we're going to talk, you know, I'm just kind of letting everybody know ahead of time that um, we got to get into some serious business stuff here in just a little bit. But the background and how, um, like, being a business owner is one of the most difficult things in the world that you can do is own a business, mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to making money. Mm -hmm. And it takes a certain type of toughness, um, takes a certain certain type of attitude or mindset, um, and more importantly, it takes a certain amount of ability to be able to get up after life knocks you down over and over and over repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And every time you get up, you get up stronger, mm -hmm. right? And and smarter. So, um, I would be a fool to say that those experiences and getting you to University of Tennessee and then being there because like look they recruited you for one reason based on what you're telling me but you stayed mm -hmm. so obviously you earned your spot right you earned your spot right and um we'll we'll talk about your playing career there um in 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 just a moment but like that's um one of the things I really want to hear and and let the folks um know is like how you were able to take um uh, like obviously you had a certain attitude yourself where you wore the you wore the suits to school you had a different you just when you dress different than everybody else you think differently mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying true mm -hmm. um so when you were able to take that to um to a top program in college sports and and then even um you had some uh affiliations with the NFL if that if i'm not mistaken um with um with, was it with Chicago Chicago briefly mm. that's awesome mm -hmm. so um so obviously the universe it worked out for everybody University of Tennessee and everybody combined right, right? Mm -hmm. um so 
let me see. I got a couple numbers on here. Tell me if these are correct. All right. Um, during your three seasons at UT, because you couldn't play as a freshman back then, right? Mm-hmm. Could not play as a freshman. Um, you caught 70 passes for 1,003 yards and 10 touchdowns. You also rushed 30 times for 123 yards and two, tr- two touchdowns, and you returned eight kickoffs for 168 yards. Does that sound pretty close? I assume that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, man, that's, that's incredible. What was it like playing at Neyland Stadium, first of all? Oh, it's a, it, it was wonderful. Um, it, it, you know, I guess during that time it was we didn't have a hundred thousand people, but mm-hmm. it was like uh, in seventy thousand number, and that's a you know it's it's that's a, a wonderful thing to walk out on the field when most of them are pulling for you. Oh wow! You, you know? Yeah, man, that's a long way from Blue Hole Road. <laughs> 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 a very long yeah. way, yes. Where a packed house might be like three, four hundred folks or something like that. I don't know. Right. What, I don't know what were the crowds like at Antioch back then. Um, I guess that was the only big. That was the biggest game in town. Yeah, they had. Um, it's probably you know I don't you know the might have pushed a thousand maybe. Who knows? Yeah, it could have. Yeah, it could have. We've had a couple of big, big mm-hmm. games. I think the Donaldson game was big, and you know, right. maybe Overton. Yep. Yeah. So um, they could have pushed a thousand, well over a thousand in that those games. But there's got to be a, a. I know the first time I ever played in front of like ten thousand people, mm-hmm. it's a different. The air feels different. The way the ball carries is different when you're surrounded mm-hmm. by all that. It's just a totally different place. That's exactly right. You know. So, um, well, that had to be quite the quite the rush mm-hmm. um, to do that. And you got to do that for three seasons. Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. And you graduated from the University of Tennessee. Is that correct? That's correct. Awesome. Um, you were um, so you mentioned the the Chicago a uh, short stint with the the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about that. So because I had a short stint in professional baseball as well, uh, we have that in common. Um, yeah, it was a short stint, but a wonderful experience. You know, um, and I, I want to be politically correct when I say this in that. They, that experience made me appreciate the fact that I knew I could do something else other than play football. Okay. And I knew that even if it didn't work out, it really didn't matter mm-hmm. if I never did it. But the experience of going to a training camp was more important than, than playing, really. That's right. Seeing it seeing it happen that's right and then knowing that you can change from all of that mm-hmm. to another world believing you can do that that's right and be successful at it mm. we were um a lot of folks we talk a lot about reinventing yourself and every time it has to be better than the, the time before mm-hmm. and um i was telling you before and i've mentioned this before on the show a few times that like when i was um when i had played the last time it took me a while to to change who I was to myself. I'd spent my whole life, 20-something years, um, where I was known as um, the baseball player, mm-hmm. the baseball player. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't a baseball player. Right. I was only a baseball player to myself. Right. Right? And, and um, I looked in the mirror and saw the way that I dressed was still a baseball player. Mm-hmm. Um, what time of day I woke up and what time I went to bed and my, was still a baseball player. Um, it, all the things that the weight training and the conditioning and, and all the things that I used to train for were no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. 
if I did them moving forward, it was because they were a hobby, not for a living. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, one day you realized your, your, your life in football was over. How old were you when that happened? Do you know? Uh, I was 21. Um, 21 years old. Going 21 years 22, old. 22. I was going to be 22. That's it. Well, by then I was probably turning about to turn 22. Okay. In September, and um, and I knew that 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 other side of the world that I mm. wanted to uh, address was there, was coming. That's right. Even though I wasn't, I don't think I was really prepared for it. Mm-hmm. But I was prepared to be prepared. Right. For it. And um, and so that was that was different. I think again the other thing was that, um, and this is going to sound a little bit crazy, Nick, in that playing football was very important, mm-hmm. but to only be known as a football player wasn't what I wanted to be known as. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. I thought, um, I mean, to be the first African American to be there was one thing. But um, to just be a football player mm-hmm. um, and not take the challenge of the world, then it's kind of like, I think that would make you a failure. Yes, sir. And it was, you know, if if just being football was just the only thing that was important, I mean, I could have coached. Sure. But I didn't want to be looked at or thought of as one who's just strictly a football player. Man, that's so good. Um, I, I, um, You know, when I first got out of the game, um, I did some coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I had a little business where I was training athletes and mm-hmm. all those things. And, like, it never was – I know exactly what you're saying because it never was just me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't um, – something was missing. I knew that it wasn't – it, this wasn't how I'm going to write what I'm going to be remembered for. I knew that. Right. Um, I knew that. And I had to figure out how to le- use and leverage all my experiences up to that point mm-hmm. and almost almost pivot them in the, in the new direction that I was going to go. It's, it's like, gosh, I have – I know people that were the top of their class mm-hmm. that, like, look, you get good grades and they give you a good report card, but that don't, that don't mean, mean you know how to make money. Right. There's no payroll in that. That's right. And uh, like, I, there's people that I know that were literally the top of their class that ain't the top of the income bracket. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of fools out there that are the top of the income bracket. Right. Because <laughs> right. they know how to make some money. That's exactly right. Um, but um, w- what was the um, how? So you were, um, I, I, gosh. Culturally, there was probably a lot of people that loved you. There was probably a lot of people that hated you, right? But that's any athlete. Yeah. That's any performer of any yeah. kind to a yeah. certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, how? What were some of the similarities that you used? Because I, I, w- I want to preface it with this. Um, my dad always told me, like, what made you cool and unique is none of that stuff defined you. You were you. That was it. You were true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you were comfortable with that person. And um, you knew what you believed in. You knew what you stood for. And now is it. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like that was the uh, case of being coming out of the kind of household, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that I came out of. And um, the brother that I worked for, I think this is very important. My next oldest brother, Andrew, I'd worked for him every summer. Mm-hmm. And he was like a father, yes, not sir. like a brother. 
like the car that the Mickey said that I was driving. Well, my yep. brother bought that car for me. Oh wow! And so I was always had a car because he he was kind of like I was like his kind of like a son to him to some degree, or the little brother that his dreams of how he thought it should be. That's all. Awesome. You know, I got to live that. Mm-hmm. But I remember being in Huntsville, Alabama, one summer. And I'm telling him, you know, Andrew, I know how to do everything on your job. I know how to make it go faster when I'm here. I said, I have got to learn how to lay brick like you. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time he really hurt my feelings. He told me that I wasn't going to do that. And he wasn't going to let me do it. Okay. And this very day, I can't lay a brick. I know good brickwork. There you go. I know how it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. I know how to do the jobs. But he didn't ever let me get the skill because he said I wouldn't go to school. Oh, wow. And I thought that was big. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when when I went to work mm-hmm. in the summer, whenever, I made the job more, a lot more money. Sure. I, I knew that. and uh, But then he told me I couldn't lay brick. Wow. How cool is that? And that's cool. Yeah. That is very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, it's, um, some people call that a standard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like, um, it doesn't mean you were too good for it. It, right. me- it means that that wasn't going to help you get where you, were ne- where you needed to go. Well, it felt like he was like 23 years older than me. Okay. His brother is, was. And um, he felt like. There's a change that needs to be done in that family. Yes, sir. And that change has to, I'm the last one, so it has, it was going to start with me because it couldn't start with anyone else afterwards in that, you know, in our immediate family. So that was important Mm. to him. Yes. And to, to go on and do something else. He didn't even know about football. He didn't care about football. Right. But, um, I mean, they were my number one supporters. Sure. You know, as a result Mm -hmm. of playing football, but, they expected something more of me. Right. Wow. That's so good. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Um, you know, you know, um, you, um, my daddy, where they were in high school, were very, I don't I, I don't, I think middle class would be a compliment. Um, Dale's off camera over here. I, I think middle class was not where we, he had established yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they came from basically nothing. And, when I look, I tell my son a lot, you know, um, my daddy was the first one to graduate from college mm-hmm. and, um, him and him and my mother, um, they were the first into the, the, they, they got the middle class together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and that was a huge step up from the previous generation. So keeping things going, it means that I've got to continue to have those, the, the growth in the family. Mm-hmm. And and my son, he's going to have to be a, a better generation than I am, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So and you keep good going that way, and you right. keep the growth happening. So um, that's a unbelievably profound lesson to get to have um, somebody that understood that and was able to help you with that mm-hmm. in the beginning because that's that's pre that's cool, man. That is very cool, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, so. After we have, uh, well, first of all, let me tell. Um, so you've been married fifty years. Yes, been married fifty years. Um, we'll be in June. We'll be in June. We'll be in June, and um, you have two sons and a daughter. Now check this out, folks. All right, now this is this is where it gets really neat. So um, he's got two sons and a daughter. 
Um, one son's a surgeon, one son's a radiologist, and the other one's an attorney. <laughs> Are you proud or what? <laughs> oh, I'm very proud. Very proud. Well, that's uh, that's incredible. So I'm I'm raising. I've got a 12 year old and a nine month old daughter. I got a 12 year old son, nine month old daughter, and um, you know, um, you want them to dream big, and and chase those dreams, and and um, I was able to take the dreams of wanting to be a professional athlete, and I was able to find passion in something else where I could be driven to want to have the growth. And you know, when when I realized that. Um, maybe the big leagues wasn't where I was, where the Lord put me to be. Um, it was somewhere else. I had to figure that out. And then once I, and I didn't know, you know, I, I had a huge image crisis, um, after, after an athlete and there was some really dark, my darkest times were right after baseball. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was all, um, it was all a part of the journey to figure out why, why the Lord put Nick Heider here. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's talk a little bit about after foot life after football, life after football because um you mentioned before you said that there was some uh there was some hard times mm-hmm. after football and then you mentioned uh, a key phrase that i love you called something a door opener mm-hmm. right you called something door opener i had a door opener too a, ma- a man offered me a job at u.s health advisors and that was my door opener right, right. so um talk to me about some hard times after football um and how you got moving in the forward direction that led you to who you are today? Well, one of the things that um, after football, when I decided, you know, what what am I going to do? I knew that I wanted to be a salesman. Mm-hmm. I knew that much. Why sales? Because, Lester, most mm-hmm. people that I, I meet, I, I hire salespeople all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm a sales guy. I, mm-hmm. There's no revenue without sales. Right. And my kid's a salesman, too, when he asked for ice cream last night. Right. We're all salesmen. Right. But most people, sales has a, a bad reputation around the place. Oh, it's, uh, like people would be like, he sounds like a salesman. Like, that's a bad thing. Right. So why sales? Well, a couple of things. Um, I wanted to get paid for what I do. Okay. Rather than being paid, being told how much I would be paid. I think that's a big difference. There's a so we could talk for hours just about that. People right. don't understand that. Right. That was that was one thing. The other thing is that I had the uh, the country boy mentality, and that I didn't want to be locked up in a building all day. So I had to get out. Salesman, mm-hmm. get out. Salesman got to go talk to people. Yeah, he gets out, and you you gone all day long. Yes, sir. You just you know you bring back the applications or the policies or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're selling at the end of the day. So those that was uh, that was very attractive to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you got a little bit of freedom. That's called I call that freedom. It is freedom to, when you can get up and go and. And you set your own schedule, and you set a lot of appointments, and you go see people, mm-hmm. and you know you you know that you make a good world, I and mean, that's a pretty good life. I like that. Yes, sir. And and that's that was what I felt like I wanted, even though I had never done it, had never sold anything before. Mm-hmm. But I felt like that was what I wanted to do, and that was the first step toward it. And I eventually got. Um, I think I had the. The first quick sale job I had was to sell Encyclopedias, Encyclopedia Britannica, 
that was a brief brief thing that was a real experience <laughs> and the stories behind that one i will not go into today but that was like a, the the encyclopedia salesmen were like the guys that had um sold all the tupperware the encyclopedias yeah. came next yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's a tough road to hold was that yes one. sir but then i went from there and i ended up um getting hired from blue cross blue shield to sell group insurance okay so i sold group insurance in downtown knoxville and East Knoxville, so I had, had a downtown territory. Mm -hmm. So I had a chance to go and knock on a lot of doors every day. It's awesome. And, you know, learn to learn to sell. Yes, sir. I was learning to sell. And I felt like I had potential for selling to go at a very high level. Mm -hmm. So but I started there in the group sales, and I wanted to go where I could learn more about how to sell. Okay. So, so you you were seeking knowledge. Seeking the knowledge Man. of sales. So I eventually went from, I stayed, didn't stay at uh, Blue Cross as long as I probably could have, should have. But after about a couple of years, I went to Xerox Corporation, mainly because they had an outstanding training program in sales, sales training program. So I wanted to get all the sales training because mm -hmm. I felt like I could be a professional salesman. There you go. After I. You know, if I went to Xerox. So that happened. I went there, worked there two or three years, and, you know, things were going extremely well. And a, the craziest thing of all, but was very important to do, and it was nowhere on the radar, but I got asked by the mayor of Knoxville to come and work as his administrative assistant. Okay. Worked for him for around the year and it was during and that year it was his uh, fourth year an election year okay i'd never never seen an election that i'd been involved in it none of that hadn't sure. seen any of that but he also told me he said he told me he said uh, you know i can't tell you of a lot of things that this experience is going to give you as compared to your selling Sell, sales is going to be the best thing you'll ever do he said but you're going to learn things here about people. There you go. That you would have, you would never know in your lifetime, but you'll have an understanding that will go with you forever and can add to your success. Mm -hmm. I think that was the selling point from him. Wow. For me to change from after Xerox to go do that. So I did have that year of experience working, you know, for the city, mm -hmm. seeing the political thing, machine work, or seeing all the things that took place, and the people, all the things that you know had works. Because I never seen any of that. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a country boy from Antioch. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, Pinhook Road, Antioch, not knowing anything, and um, that was a wonderful experience. And then, but at the same time, after that. I ended up seeing selling real estate because the mayor had his friend, his uh, partner had a real estate agency there, mm -hmm. and they were developers. The mayor's family were builders, developers, and all of those things, and um, and that put me into an area that I was comfortable with, and I was happy to do that. That's right. Until the interest rates got so high. Mm -hmm. Um, and I realized you couldn't sell real estate with 18% interest rates. That happened to Oh, me. goodness. But uh, it did prepare me for 
you know, everything was an experience that I needed to have. There you go. So it got me to the next um, next move was uh, to get me to the insurance agency that I needed to, to get to. I needed a vehicle that I could really operate from mm-hmm. and sell to um, to do the things I wanted to do. There you and go. And make the difference in the family. And so that time came. True or false, Mr. Lester? Um, I say this a lot when um, I'm interviewing um, folks that might be our next team member to open their own agency. Um, I tell them all, nobody stands up on career day in in the fourth grade and big and proud and pokes their chest out and says, when I grow up, I'm going to be an insurance agent. Right. Nobody, Nobody says, says that. that. Nobody. Uh, yeah. Tom Brady actually said, um, in a, uh, there's a documentary on him. There's a bunch of documentaries on him, but I'm pretty sure it was inside the arena or the man in the arena one um, that just came out where he was talking about the fourth round goes. He didn't get drafted the fifth round. He looks at his dad and he said, he's like, I'm starting to get freaked out. I thought I was going to have to go sell insurance. That was what he, right. <laughs> Tom Brady said that. <laughs> and, um, like, Nobody grows up to do what we do, yet the, you know, the insurance industry has created more millionaires mm-hmm. than any other industry on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yet nobody stands up and says they want to be an insurance. It's kind of weird. It's almost like you got to go out and chase your dreams, and when you have nothing left, that's when you become an insurance agent. At least that was what it was for me because mm-hmm. um, I started with rock bottom. bottom but um, we both have insurance in common, right? And um, you were with a, a great company for a long time called State Farm that everybody's familiar with, right? Right. Um, did you ever meet Jake in his khakis? I got to ask that. <laughs> uh, Jake is a little young. He's a little young? Yes, yes. So, um, well, um, tell the folks what you did. Um, so you were an agency owner with State Farm for a while. Right. I started a scratch agency in Knoxville. Okay. And um, I guess that was in 83, I believe. Okay. And um, stayed there until right at, what, 1990. Mm-hmm. Went, moved back to Nashville and was an agency manager. Stayed from here in Nashville. And stayed agency manager about five years and went back to agency. Okay. And um, and that's that was that's my life in the insurance. Is that that did that for about thirty something years. Mm-hmm. That's and, a career, man. Yeah, and and, and so um, so now I just kind of uh, just have fun have taking fun. taking care of the things that uh, State Farm afforded me. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's at the end of the day, that's what we're all looking for is an outlet, right? An outlet right. where we can be the uh, and ha- just have the opportunity to be the best versions of ourselves, mm-hmm. have the opportunity to create the life that we believe we're here to create, um, an opportunity to give our families the life that we feel they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, mine deserves a, a great life for putting up with mine, <laughs> for putting up with me. <laughs> I understand. So they, I'm going to be working until the day I die probably to give them the life they deserve. Deserve. Um, but uh, um, no, man. In all in all seriousness, um, so I know, I know you've uh, you've done some work in in uh, in real estate. We also have that um, in common. Um, but um, there were um, in the uh, the you, you mentioned that like all the experiences that you had kind of were necessary to get you so that when you got your opportunity. Um, you were able to capitalize on that. Tom Brady says, um, you know, he was there and he was backing up uh, Drew Bledsoe, um, who was the first six-figure – or sorry, first $100 million contract in the history of NFL, and that's mm-hmm. who Tom Brady's backing up. So, like, mm-hmm. the odds of him getting in are slim to none. 
but he even Drew Bledsoe said um, that Brady was always so in tune and and like in every practice and and soaked up every single moment because when he did get his time, when he did get his moment to shine, he did. Mm-hmm. He did. And um, it sounds like that's something that uh, kind of like what you're saying right now is you knew when you were doing um, in politics or doing any of those other things that like you knew that wasn't where you were going to end up, but you knew it was necessary. You were able to learn right, and, and, and take those experiences just like you probably learned a lot. You probably used a lot of your, your time in football and the things that you learned in insurance because insurance ain't easy, man. No, it's not. Um, and, um, you know, the longer the customer stays happy, the more money you make. So it's not right. like you're getting all your money up front. Right. Exactly. Right. It, it takes quite a bit of time to build the book of business mm-hmm. um, that that gives you the income that you that you need, right? Right. So, exactly. um, tell me a little bit about that about your journey getting started because for like for me, um, there was um, dozens of times where I wanted to take my head and just crash it through a wall. I was so frustrated mm-hmm. with how hard it was mm-hmm. to get it to start and be successful in insurance. It was because it was I realized I had a marketing problem. Right. I wasn't getting in front of enough people. Right. So what was your experience like when you started? Well, getting that opportunity to to, to be a state farm agent, um, I'll never forget Dan Brooks gave me that opportunity, and he gave me a lot of books that I had to read and had to read their philosophy mm-hmm. at that time, the old state farm philosophy. And he talked to us about uh, the, the books referred to uh, building you have to get build your clientele after by knowing their X dates. Mm-hmm. And ooh, we, yes, X dates. Yeah, the X dates. So, and what is an X date? X date is no more than every property casualty policy having X has an expiration date. There it is, expiration date. Yeah. That's right. If it's a uh, if it's an automobile, your X date is usually every six months. Yes, it's sir. Only a six month policy. Okay. Uh, if it's a homeowner, so if we call them fire policies, um, they usually last a year, mm-hmm. and they they renew. Well, people normally don't look to change either one unless it's at the X date. Right. So it's important to know everybody's X date, mm-hmm. and if you're going to call everyone or pursue them, it's good to pursue them at a time that the X date is coming. Mm. And so that's that was the first challenge that I had was to create a system of X dates so that would put me into the insurance game. And mm. and I was just fortunate enough all the bad things about the interest rates in the real estate and all these things uh forced me into working for the property assessor's office doing a reappraisal. Mm-hmm. And I got to see how it was arranged, how it was organized, and it was perfect for the insurance uh, X-State business. That's right, baby. <laughs> Dude, so many folks would be like, that was just a crappy job I didn't like, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't take any of that experience and, and move it forward. Like, you were literally mining data. Right. Right? Before people did that. You right. mentioned before you said index card. Right. That's right. Right? So tell the folks how you used it. So now it would be, you'd put, you'd, it'd be a form fill, and they'd put all their information in electronically, and, right. and you could save it and mark it to that. We do that all the time, right? right? But you were doing it. Before those things. That's right. Yeah. 
You know, it was just a matter of um, going through, well, working for the property assessor's office, you get to see every property in the city. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to know was I wanted to be in subdivisions. So I had I knew how to find all the subdivisions. And every name in those subdivisions, whoever's name was on those properties, it told their name, the address, and the day they purchased the property. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, from there, that purchase date is probably the X date of the homeowner's insurance. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's there going to go. be that. And so I thought that was the most important thing because that's the one that drives the business anyway. Absolutely. Because where there's a home, oh, they called it, in, my guy said, where there's a fire, which is the homeowners is a fire policy. Mm -hmm. He said, where there's a fire, it will spread. Yes. So you try to make sure that you spread the fire insurance about. That's right. Because you could find everything that you wanted in the next in a household mm -hmm. it's always there so we we just built a clientele not a clientele we built a filing system of x-date cards back in those days of all those names and put them in um not in alphabetical order but in new put it based on the month and the day of the month wow so that um yes. we could call them but in doing that, we were, the great thing about that time versus today and doing the same thing is hard to do today. Yes, sir. For a couple of reasons. I had like a, what looked like a shoebox. I probably had 25 to 30 of them full of those cards. And I put them in alphabetical order, go through the uh, crisscross mm -hmm. directories. Yes, sir. That I don't know if they still use those things or not. They still have crisscross directories? Um, well... Like, we can find that. Well, everybody had a phone number. Yeah. It wasn't everybody had a cell. Sure. Everybody had a phone number. That's right. And there were phone numbers that were unlisted. Mm -hmm. But most everyone had a phone. Yes, sir. So you could put a phone number on almost every card. And uh, so out of 26 to 30 boxes you had uh, of all these cards, mm -hmm. you may have four or five boxes that you couldn't get a phone number for. Okay. Okay. Of course, that those are the ones that you, if you're going to market to them, you market, you have to pay money by postage. That's right. You had to market to the mailbox. Right. That's right. That's right. So, but, um, but once you found those phone numbers in those, you know, we put them on a system and we called them, uh, 60 days prior to that renewal date, prior mm -hmm. to the X date, and set appointments. And many of them, most of them didn't give us appointments. Sure. But you'd be surprised that when we thanked them for talking to us, and then we asked them for their car renewal date, mm -hmm. uh, we ended up with tons of car renewal dates every single day Hello. in our file. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of calling those people back again on the car renewal dates. That's and right. And so you, before you know it, you got, I mean, it, incredible. It's inc it becomes an incredible cycle Absolutely. of business that grows and grows. And then 
they refer to you and absolutely i mean it becomes another ball game it's like man he just knew exactly when i needed him and it like that's a yeah, great it's a you that's cre- exactly right you right. created a great experience mm-hmm. that they could tell other folks about mm-hmm. um what you know um we we use a lot of food references here um, when we talk about marketing because the food industry is a very competitive and they're really good at it mm-hmm. but imagine imagine if the funeral home knew when all of our expiration dates were, and they could say 60 days from now. Right. <laughs> you know, imagine, right. imagine how great Start they would calling. be at their job. That's, that's right. right. And yes. we would all do it. Yeah. Um, well, man, that's, um, that's fantastic, you know, because, um, you know, anybody in the space, in your space, could have did that. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. You figured out a – that's called innovation, baby. That's called innovation, right? So um, an innovation and index cards are not two things that are, that are lumped together anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was the process. Right. You created a process mm-hmm. that you could scale, replicate, and more importantly, create a better customer experience for the, for the customer. Right, exactly. And that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. Because um, that's why I'm in business is to help people. Mm-hmm. It's to help people. And if we don't help anybody today, I don't think we should get paid. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anybody can show up. That's right. Anybody can show up. So, um, well, man, that is, uh, that's really cool. So you guys, knew, you guys knew what key metrics you were looking for, and you turned that into a, a freaking good business. Right. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, <clears throat> all right. Let's see here. So tell me, about, um, tell me about the statue. That's, you know, I'm a big Rocky fan. You know what I'm saying? Rocky's got a statue, and it's famous. Mm-hmm. What about your statue? Tell me about your statue. When did that happen? Well, it happened um, last fall before the first, the day of the first game. Last fall, so it's right, recent. Right. It's wow. Just, it was introduced. Uh, actually, um, I must give that credit to um, Danny White and the athletic director at UT today. Okay. Um, he had approached me during um, – the SEC tournament here in Nashville last year. Okay. Uh, about that. And um, he wanted to acknowledge uh, me, uh, Jackie Walker, um, Conrich Holloway, mm-hmm. and T. Martin. That's mm-hmm. being, um, I guess, trailblazers Absolutely. in the SEC type of thing in that I came and was considered the uh, first uh, African-American to play, but wasn't the first. Sure. I was the first to play and stay. Okay. 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 That's a little different. Then It is, yeah. but it's but it's the same because, yeah. you know, the staying power is everything, and that's, yeah. what, that's what you endured during that time. Right. Then you had uh, Conrich came four years later. Okay. I'm sorry, two years later came Jackie Walker. He was. Okay. Jackie was a year after me. I'm sorry. He was the next year. Okay. And Jackie, um, of course, he wasn't the first, but he was the first All American in the SEC. Okay. As a linebacker. Uh, he became All American as a sophomore, by the way. He was, he was a fantastic uh, football player. And then um, Conrich Holloway. He was four years, there was four years between me and Conridge. And Conridge became the first um, black athlete to be quarterback in the SEC. Wow. Then T. Martin came, and he was the first black guy to be quarterback and win a national championship. That's right. 
So they put, they wanted those four statues out to kind of uh, show the history of Tennessee and the black athlete. Absolutely. And the role that's been played. And, you know, and that that's important because that's not very well known. Right. You know, it was never publicized. We, I had, uh, you know, it's not something that would happen today, but during my career, um, maybe once, could have been twice in the SEC that I even saw another black player. Absolutely. On the football team. That's England. right. Yeah. So it was a different ball game, different time. Sure. So all of that was just to kind of show the history in a nutshell of Tennessee. Hopefully it's a great recruiting um, tool. Uh, That's up to them. It absolutely they, is. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we just, we'll just see. But well, to be honored, it was special. Well, it's totally, it's such a cool thing, man. It's um and and it's such a cool looking. It's a cool statue, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> it cool? Is, like, can nice. you believe that? Did yeah. you ever imagine a statue like that of yourself? I, I never imagined a statue. Period. It's it, it's, it's unbelievable. Imagine, yeah. What a blessing, man. Well, it's so. I, I want everybody to understand. Like, the first time. Um, all right. So the the. It was my second professional game ever. It was on the road. Mm-hmm. This is in 2003. And we're at a stadium in St. Louis that couldn't have had. I actually took my son there um, when we were in St. Louis last year um, to show him because the, uh, it's Gateway Stadium in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a beautiful stadium. It only, it only seats like maybe five, 6,000 people. I mean, not it's not big. Mm-hmm. But it was a unique place because that was the first place I got released. And I was released on the road. And funny story, um, I won't spend too much time on it, but um, it was like literally I'd only been with the team for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that was the one only time I got released. Mm-hmm. They released me on the road. I still still had all my stuff and um rather than they were on like a 14 day road trip so rather than ride the bus with the team i just got fired from i called my pop it was like 11 o'clock at night to come get me and i was sitting outside in the parking lot in the dark pitch black dark for four and a half hours while i waited on dad to come pick me up in the middle of the night and bring wow. me home <laughs> to drive to st louis <laughs> yes he did oh, i wow. called him up and he was like he said man how was it and i was like well i just got released and he said what and i was like yeah man you think you can come get me <laughs> so I, I was just it was the loneliest four hours of my life i watched the bus leave and like i'm sitting in this lit parking lot so it wasn't gonna be that big of a deal well after they finished cleaning up the stadium everything just went black and it mm-hmm. was just me by the side of the interstate in a parking lot in st louis for hours waiting on dad to come get me no cell phone uh, or not the cell phones weren't what they were then it was a little flip when you didn't have you couldn't surf the internet mm-hmm. it was just me and my lonesome mm-hmm. <laughs> sitting out there for a long time but um I um we we went there and um and and I was able to uh to show my son um that that place but that was where um my dad and my girlfriend at the time had come to watch me play so it was like my second game was my first start mm-hmm. and uh, and they were there and the reason I'm saying all this is because like 5000 people I was the because I was the rookie if I struck out the whole stadium won free beer won mm-hmm. a beer right so mm-hmm. as soon as I came up to bat the most awfulest things that I could imagine at that time was being screamed at me from right. the stands. And of course, my dad's giggling. Right. My girlfriend thought it was the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. Lester, you had 70,000 people on top of you screaming God knows what. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to first game ever okay. to play at Tennessee. Uh, we played Georgia uh, in 68, national TV, big game. Mm-hmm. 
I'm hoping that I get to play, okay? And, of course, I thought I would, but didn't know. Didn't start, so you didn't know. And um, I remember entering the game for the first time late, maybe second quarter. Okay. I don't recall exactly when, so I can't say that. And not that you pay a lot of attention, mm -hmm. but it's like I got a standing ovation. Really? It's that, I, I. I still think I did. I, you know, unless you know, I, I got a standing ovation. That's fantastic. People applauded me entering. That's the game. wonderful. And I mean, that's amazing. Know, I mean, just think what that means. You know, absolutely. I hadn't done anything. Never done anything. I mean, hadn't played at all. Right. But um, uh, but I had the. Um, What's interesting, I had the security of the quarterback. Okay. Bubba White. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to even pull for Cincinnati in the in the um, Super Bowl this year mm -hmm. because of Bubba White's brother was the coach the last time they went to the Super Bowl. I'll be dang. Yeah. Okay. Sam White. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, um, Ended up, before the game, you know, we ended up being behind and down by eight points with time running out in the game. And I'll never forget, I was in the game during the last drive that we had. Okay. And um, fourth down and extremely long, and we're losing. And... Um, Bubba threw the fourth down ball to me. We got a first down. That's awesome. And kept the drive alive to the point that we scored as the game was ending. Got a two-point play and tied the game. Wow. And, you know, ended up being being a tie. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was an interesting way to start life. <laughs> Now, Absolutely. this is not following your question, but just for interesting sake, that was my first game in Nayland Stadium. Man, that warms my heart, actually. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My last game in Nayland Stadium, we were playing UCLA, and we were ahead, and with about three minutes to go, um, an interception was thrown. They caught it and did a pick six on us oh, and wow. went ahead with like three minutes to go in the game. Uh-huh. And on that drive of trying to catch up, yeah, it was fourth and long, and I caught my last pass in Nayland Stadium. Wow. And I thought, you know, those two things – they're bigger than anything Absolutely. that ever happened, you know. Absolutely. And they was catching the – it wasn't the touchdowns, I remember. It's the, the, key, the key passes. The key plays. Yeah, and that was key, keeping that drive alive. And we ended up scoring twice in those three minutes. Wow. And, and winning the game, yeah. Man, those are – you know, like when Derek Jeter had his uh, – his, his last hit of his career was a game winning hit. That's one right. of those type stories. That right. is cool, man. Mm -hmm. That is fan I mean, that's storybook stuff. Mm-hmm. That is storybook stuff. So um, we mentioned the statue before, and I'm going to quote um, 
one of my favorite movies called The Sandlot. And, you know, heroes get remembered. Mm-hmm. Legends are never forgotten. So I mentioned, I called you an icon at the beginning of the, of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked you if that was okay. And you said, I mean, no. You, you're, he's, that's the greatest thing about the most amazing people is they don't know they're amazing. They're just them. You know <laughs> what I mean? That's the greatest thing about amazing people. But uh, Lester, they don't, um, they don't put statues of other anybody other than legends. It just is because that's heroes. Heroes get remem- remembered. Legends are never forgotten. And that statue, you'll never be forgotten, man. Wow. Yeah, that's that's true. You know what I'm saying? So um, there ain't nobody asking to build a statue of Nick Hyder anytime soon. I can say that much. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe one day. One day. Maybe one day. Dale will tell you that I love trophies. Mm-hmm. We do love trophies around here. Hey, I like statues even more, Dale. I just decided that. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> um, well, uh, so after you're so to to finish up on your on your playing career um and i asked you if this was correct and 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 um i could tell you all my trophies i might need to look in and, and change that because a guy like you said i remember some i think that's right but i've got here written down and i may be missing some okay um but uh you you have been honored by the east tennessee chapter of the national football foundation and hall of fame all right. I've got here that you are a, uh, also a member of the Metropolitan National Public Sports uh, Public School Sports Hall of Fame. You're a member of University of Tennessee's Athletics Hall of Fame, and you've earned the Maxwell House Sport Award. Um, and in 1987, you were appointed to an alumni position on University of Tennessee's Athletic Board. Um, and you've also received numerous state appointments, um, including the Tennessee Human Rights Commission by Governor Lamar Alexander. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. Um, dude, that's a that's a pretty inter- um, impressive paragraph that I just read. Thank you. <laughs> that's a pretty impressive paragraph. So um, what's it like? So you're here you are in in the business world and and you get the, you get you're hanging out with just normal business guys and then you get the call that you're going to be put into a hall of fame or something like that like what's an experience like that feel like <laughs> well uh you really didn't you know you don't talk about it to anyone else you but you tell the kids mm-hmm. and you know you kind of do that for them mainly because you expect so much of them oh you know you you, you know you pass I guess you don't. That's it's, it's for that purpose only. You 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 want them to be challenged in that's life right. and try to make the difference. And uh, we did the same thing. We passed it. We have we have one one granddaughter mm-hmm. that um, I told her father. I said uh, it's it's very important that uh, she understands because one of these days we've gotten to be old. She may be the only representative. That's right. <laughs> we have from our family to talk about the statue or what's going on. You never know. Mm-hmm. So you know, it really you know, we know that we've built a life that's going to be around for a while. We just hope that we can do good things. That's awesome. And influence you know, young kids to make a difference. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um. Lester, is there anything else that um, that maybe I missed, left out, or anything else um, that uh, when you got the microphone that you'd like for people to know about yourself or about the situation, about culture today, or anything like that that you would like to say? Because honestly, man, I can't think of a better person to ask. 
No, um, you should tell the people how great your father is. And we played ball together, and he was a little guy. That's right. Played center and um, and tough as nails. He's well. Both of you guys look incredible for your age. Like to be how old you're. Like my dad. Um, people are going to expect me to still be able to do what he does when I'm his age. Like right. I told him, I'm like, you need to slow down just a little bit because they, I don't, like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Right. Um, at 65, he was still bench pressing 300 pounds. Oh wow. Um, I mean, he's it's incredible. The from a physical standpoint, I mean, he can still get out there and keep up and and like I'll need a break when we're doing something strenuous. Mm-hmm. I'll need a break before he will. It's wow. it's crazy. He's still mm-hmm. he's a different breed. I've only I'm sure. He was sick growing up, um, but but like I only remember him being sick like a couple times mm-hmm. in my entire life, mm-hmm. um, where he was like, I don't think he's ever. He was always self-employed, um, so he never really called out. But like it's unbelievable. He's um, I was both of my parents are absolutely amazing people, mm-hmm. and they bring um, so much of uh, who I am today from the the toughness and the fight because my daddy is not big mm-hmm. um but he played he played he was the, not only was he the first hider to graduate college but he was the first one to play sports at the college level for mm-hmm. the great ken dugan at lipscomb university mm-hmm. where they just um <clears throat> mentioned him at their first pitch dinner the other night he's mm-hmm. still um there's a field named after him at, at shelby park um for what he's done he had a whole career in the music business mm-hmm. that was fantastic um my uh, my mother was the ultimate the ultimate homemaker. I had a wonderful childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back at it, it was it was amazing. Um, of course, I took it for granted because it was just normal to me. Right. Um, but but looking back, I'm just my my mother is um, at my house right now. She keeps our our nine month old for us and and helps mm-hmm. keep our she she she's helped raise both my kids. Um, and both my kids are awesome mm. and, and they're awesome because of my wife and my mother, you right. know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, um, I, I was extremely blessed to have amazing parents. I learned, um, like my mother is, she is, um, understanding who you are and what you stand for and how to stand up for that. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot of that from, from her too, um, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Um, you know what I mean? That was no, ma'am. No, sir. That was just how it was. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a certain amount of respect that you give people that they've earned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and there's just a certain way that you treat people. And you can have it all if you want it, but you got to go about getting it the right way and treat people the right way right. In, in the path to doing it. And, and honestly, if you want to move up, you shouldn't have to take somebody out to move up. You should just be able to elevate the person that's above you up so you can, and, and they move up when you move up. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, but my, again, you know, you were a, um, I believe that a lot of things that my dad accomplished in his life were because, because remember in Antioch back then, especially growing up, he hadn't seen much. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw as much through your experience um, as he probably did in, in anything else. And um, so that was, I mean, seriously, they, your name was mentioned over and over and over again. Um, I knew you long before I ever even saw what you looked like. Um, just because you made that big of an impact on my family. Wow. So it was um, when uh, when I called him, I told you when I talked to you the first time, mm-hmm. when I called him, and <clears throat> and, um, and I'm, I'm always looking for amazing people to come on. We get So people call me all the time saying, you need to get this person and that person, and we love those. Keep those coming. Because, mm-hmm. But um, it was, uh, I just asked Dad, because Dad's hosted shows and knows a lot of great people. I just said, hey, man, um, 
who would be good to bring on the show without even a hesitation? Lester McLean. Lester McLean. First one out of his mouth. Wow. Right? And um, one of his most prized photos is you were out at the ballpark a couple years ago for I don't know why, hmm. and you guys took a photo up in his office. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's, he's more proud of that photo than you, you have any idea. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. And it was so cool watching you guys talk because you can t- teammates are teammates mm-hmm. forever. Forever. That's right. Forever. And you guys still cut up and act just like it. Like <laughs> it gave me a glimpse of what the locker room looked like in 1966 <laughs> and 67. You know what I'm saying? Um, back back then. So it was, it was such a cool thing. And, and I have teammates that I haven't seen in 15 years. Mm-hmm. And the moment we connect, you just go right back to where you left off. Yeah. Did you see – Remember the Titans. Great movie. Okay. Ask Mickey okay. what songs does he remember learning when I got there. Okay. And once he tells you, then you go back and you watch Remember the Titans. Okay. And see if you don't hear all the exact same music. So they nailed it. They nailed it when they made that movie. They, they, nailed, they nailed our experience at and Wow. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as, you know, the music and the relationship, you know, you know they, they singing Too Proud to Beg with the Temptations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, that was. That was it. Dad, <laughs> hey, if you, if you listen to Dad's band and stuff, that was, a, that was a, he had a Temptations medley. They played yeah. it all the time. What, the last time his band played in a reunion, and I sat in on the drums for a few. We played, I was the drummer on the Temptations oh, that medley. Right? That's right. It was, it was cool, man. So, with it, so I don't even have to ask him because he's going to be tuning in. Um, so he'll tell me as soon as he hears it. He'll, he tells me. That's the coolest thing is you can talk right to Pop. But it's by looking in the camera right oh, okay. there, man. Good, he that's right. That. Yes. Um, well, man, is there any is there anything else that um, that you'd like to leave with the uh, with the folks out there? Um, because, like I say, it's it's um, you know, I was I was talking to Dale earlier. We, I mean, Lester, we I could have had you back ten times, and we'd never ran out of stuff to talk about. Just your life experiences, um, wh- whether it be in football or the cultural stuff or the business. Now in fatherhood and and spouse and and now in and now in retirement which you don't look too retired you look like you're still getting around pretty dang good man well i like to get out and do something every day there you, you go. know i have that country boy mentality i think that um i never want to farm mm-hmm. but i want to think like the farmer he never has a time of the year that he doesn't need to do something that's right and to keep that Keep it all working, mm-hmm. and I, I try to live like that in what I do every day to have something keep things working. That's because right. otherwise, if you let it sit, it'll kind of go stale on you. Man, mm-hmm. that is a, that's a perfect way to bring this sucker to a close. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so, Lester, if um, obviously um, when uh, if somebody was to just Type your name in Google and wanted to read all about you. They could. They could do a lot of things. Um, could they catch it in any University of T- Tennessee football games next foot- football season? Do you go back and visit very often? Do you go back? To, how many games do you go to a year, do you think? Well, I'm, it's fewer yep. each year now. Okay. And I didn't go to but one last year. That's unusual. Okay. And I think COVID and all those things have had, had a lot to do with that. Absolutely. Um, but I'd like to at least attend, you know, several, you know, three or four Excellent. Every year. Um, 
particularly if I can get in one of the box seats. I had a friend that had had the um, the booth. There you go. You go to the booth and it's just a party the whole time. And I kind of like that. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it's, uh, um, but but I would probably do three or four at least every year, and I would like to attend a couple road games. I used to do all of that all the time, mm-hmm. but I got where you know just didn't have the time to do it, or sure. there's too much work that you had to do. Absolutely. But I but I do miss that part of life, and yeah, and I admire those who get a chance to do that. That's you know, right, and, and live that kind of life. Yes. Well, that's fa- that's fantastic, man. So. Um, and, um, if the folks wanted to, to keep up with anything that you got going on, right. Is there any, so, um, I know, um, the, uh, you have an email address and, uh, but is there uh, do you have any social media that you keep up on that anybody could keep, stay with you or anything like that? Or are you just kind of doing your thing? Yeah, I just kind of do my thing. I had, awesome. Don't really do any social media. Yeah. I've never done any. Um, I'm still old, old guy, you know, I, I, I mean, another, you know, another league as far as the, uh, the social media goes, you know, those, those are the game things that my kids do, you know, you do, and, you know, yes, all the same age, you know, yes, so, sir. so it's a, with me, I'm just totally old school with the, with the social things. Well, we're going to make sure that, um, the production team, um, you'll have uh we'll let you know when and where to to catch this because it's going to stream across all platforms mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be able to watch all this on on youtube um, we'll make sure that uh, the production team gets all that out so that way um your kids can enjoy it and all your family and friends and all that kind of stuff when they want to do that man so um lester um this has been a an amazing experience for me today selfishly right because uh um, when, uh, when, when dad told me that he'd reached out to you and you said that you was going to do it, quite honestly, I was like, I was, I was, ex- I was really excited, man. And, um, and, and, uh, I, I he said, well, let's just going to do it. And I was like, really? You know, it's like, <laughs> I almost didn't believe him, you know, so that's really cool. Um, but, um, man, I, I mentioned in the beginning, um, I said a living, a living icon and, um, that's just a fact, brother. I hope you. I hope you get. Are you okay with it? Because it is what it is. Well, you know what I mean. But thinking, and I do appreciate you inviting me. Oh man, that's very kind of you to do so. Oh man. Well, we're um, uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of stuff. Again, we could have gone on for hours and hours, and a lot of times we'll bring some folks back um to 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 go into things um the feedback that we get from the public about like man i wish you to talk more about that or that or that was well, no problem cool keep those suggestions coming because i'll bring them back we'll talk about it mm-hmm. you know what i mean because that's why we that's why we do this is for the right. folks that um so they can get out of it what they need to get out of it so mm-hmm. um well lester mclean the the first um the first African-American football player at the University of Tennessee. Um, more accolades and awards than I can count or read off. Um, and, uh, and then from all that to a, to a very successful um, businessman and, uh, and, uh, and, and family life as well. Um, you're the American dream, dude. You are it. You are it. Seriously. What else is it? You know what I mean? What else is it? Um, Lester, I can't thank you so uh, enough for for hanging with me today, brother. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure, man. Thank you. So, well, folks, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Hit Streak. Um, I'm your man, Nick Heider. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when the next episode drops. You get those notifications, baby, right? So uh, thanks again for tuning in. Keep those comments. Keep those suggestions coming. We love them. And uh, God bless you and yours. 